Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women's in the ring. To the two minute round, your hooks and jabs look at female boxing. This is episode number 82. My name is Felipe Leon, and like always, from the north actually, what is that? The Bay Area of California, Miss Lupi Gutierrez. Lupi, how are you doing tonight? Hi, I'm doing good. Everyone's in a panic, it's making me nervous. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll t- and we'll talk about that and how it's affected female boxing in a little bit. But with also with us from Riverside, California, is Mr. David Avila. David, how are you doing tonight? Very good, everybody. How are you all? Good, good, good. Thank you. Well, this is episode number 82. In about 15 minutes, we're going to have our very special guest, none other than WBC and WBA super lightweight world champion Jessica McCaskill and her manager-slash-trainer, uh, Rick Ramos. She's going to come on here and talk about uh, various topics, including her upcoming match against uh, Cecilia Bracos on April 17th. As of right now, still um, on. And then also, maybe we get her to react to some of the things, not only that Mary McGee said back in December here on the show, after he, she won the IBF version of the 140-pound crown, but also what Mr. Uh, Brian Cohen stated here uh, was it two two shows ago? Uh, two shows ago uh, regarding trying to make a fight between McCaskill and McGee or other fighters in his camp. So we'll see what we will talk about uh, in about 15 minutes when they do call in, but. Um, I'm trying to set up my computer. has a little issue here. I was trying to bring up the uh, the schedule, the past schedule. But before we get into that, let's just jump right into the fight chatter before we get into the fight schedule and talk about the um, very recent news. Um, I think it was yesterday that it was, or even earlier today, that it was announced that the fight on Tuesday, March 17th in the Hulu Theater at the Madison Square Garden in New York City between Michaela Mayer and Melissa Huracan Hernandez, our guest last show on episode 81, was still going to go on, but without any fans in the theater. And just about half an hour ago, Top Rank released a press release stating Mm -hmm. that the fight was postponed. Not only that one on Tuesday, but also the one that was scheduled for this um, Saturday night from the same venue between Shakur Stevenson and Miguel Marriaga of Colombia. Also, today, Golden Boy announced that due to the California State Commission um, suspending all combat sports for the month of March, uh, their show at the Avalon, which was going to feature Marlene Esparza's return after that loss against Inés Estrada last November, was canceled. 
or postpone. And also, um, Siniestra Stratus fight on March 28th at the Forum in Los Angeles is also postponed till further notice. So, your thoughts, Lupi, on what's going on? My thought is we should just consider everything canceled until they tell us which events are not canceled. But it looks like everything's being canceled, starting with all the amateur events in California a couple days ago. Those were canceled as well for how long? Um, just till the end of the month, uh, the March so, 30th, 31st. So USA Boxing has also um, postponed and or canceled um, all other events until the end of the month, which is not that – I mean, it's 20 days. I mean, we're on – what day is it, the 12th? So it's about another 18 to nine, 19, 18 to 17 days until the end of uh, of the month. So, I mean, yeah, it sounds – you yes. know what, Felipe? That was Reno National Qualifiers started yeah. March 23rd and ended the end of the month. And then there was the event, the Olympic qualifiers as well have been canceled. So is yes, 2020 Tokyo, has that blown up? I mean, is 2020 Tokyo gone? Um, that, uh, they you haven't not mentioned, they haven't mentioned anything. Um, you know, I think that the world, and the WHO, the World Health Organization, and the U.S. government and the rest of the governments that are being affected, obviously, the, a lot of countries, not all of them, I've been reading some stuff, it's not all of them, but a lot of countries are, are going to assess um, what's next, I guess, in the first week of April. And so they could re, redo the trials in Argentina in May. Mm-hmm. When, did Olympics, yeah. when did the Olympics start? June or July? July. July. So there's still some time. There's some time. And and what I've I've seen, I mean, I'm no expert, obviously, um, but what I've seen is that once the weather starts getting a little bit warmer, uh, the virus will not have, um, you know, much play in it. The virus, as far as what I've seen, has been around for 10 years, but not this particular strain, which has no uh, vaccine. So... Uh, but compared to other things that we've seen, like SARS and their bird flu and, you know, AIDS and and uh, everything else, it's not nearly as contagious as those other things that we've seen in the past that okay. at their time was said that it was going to end the world. So any thoughts, David, on or anything that you heard in the grapevine verse, uh, about these events? Uh, no, they're just going to weigh... Uh the situation, uh, let things blow over. Uh, aside from the health, there's still the economic uh, uh, fallout. And uh, they, they got to decide all these issues first. It's, you know, not just boxing, but all sports, all entertainment. Uh, in California, they even closed all the theaters. Anything mm-hmm. with over 100 people is going to be shut down. Disneyland. I mean, you shut down Disneyland, that's pretty yeah. bad. I think it's only the I think it's only the fourth time that it's ever been shut down in over 50 years that Disneyland has been there in Anaheim. So yeah, that is pretty pretty newsworthy. But we'll see what happens. We're not gonna we're not gonna panic. We're gonna see what happens. The fight that I that I was looking for forward the most that was postponed, and I'm sure it's gonna happen in the future. But the one I really want to see was that Micaela Mayer against Melissa Hernandez, and the fact that they announced that it was gonna go on just with no audience. 
and now just about half an hour, 45 minutes ago, it was actually postponed. That really was a heartbreaker there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's move on a little bit to the fight results before we receive our caller, our call from Jessica McCaskill and Rick Ramos, who will be calling in about 15 minutes to talk about what's next for her. And obviously on April 17th in Maryland, Oxen Hill, Maryland, on the zone, it's going to be her challenge for the WBC Unified uh, World Titles against Cecilia Breakhouse. That's what's next for Jessica McCaskill, and she's going to be talking about that and a lot more when she calls in. But going back to the fight results, on Friday, February 28th in Argentina, Daniela Bermudez continues her tear through the 118 pounds with a KO in nine over Ali Sanchez uh, in a scheduled 10 rounder. Sanchez was down in the eighth and ninth round of that fight. Um, in St. Petersburg, Florida, that same night, Laura Ramsey scored a fourth round TKO over Gwendolyn and O'Neill in a scheduled sixth rounder in the heavyweight division. The time there was 122. And the 50 year old Ramsey decides to retire on top and retires after that fight. So at 50, I think it was uh, uh, about time for her to, to retire. Um, on Friday, Mar- March 6th, here in Tijuana, Mexico, Tania Enrique scored a seventh-round TKO over Elizabeth Lopez to capture the vacant WBC Continental Americas or Intercontinental. I'm not 100% sure what we do know. It was not the silver title, which we had initially reported. So as of right now, as what we believe, um, Sinez Estrada still holds that silver title. It was misreported on box rank, but she does get ranked in the top 15 now with that win at 108 pounds. So Tania Enriquez, the younger sister of interim WBC light flyweight champion, Kenya Enriquez scores a seventh round TKO and stays undefeated. On Saturday, March 7th in Poland, Ewa Branica scored unanimous decision over Jamila Gontaruk in a 10 rounder to defend her 130 pound WBC world title. Scores there were 190 99-91, two times. And finally, on that same Saturday, March 7th, from Parral, Mexico, on Facebook Watch, current 105-pound WBA champion Anabel Ortiz scored a unanimous decision in a non-title six-rounder against Heidi Cruz at 115 pounds. Scores there were 60-54 and 59-54, two times. Interesting on that is that, as far as I knew, but it seems like not anymore. Anabel Ortiz was with Sanford Promotions, but now she fought on a Golden Boy card. And I think it was very last minute because we didn't even know about it. And I hadn't heard about it until I saw that she was fighting that same night. But um, now she's she's fighting on this Golden Boy card. We saw uh, a couple of months ago, Sulem Morbina also fight on a Mexican uh, Golden Boy card. Um so I don't know. Maybe this is the beginning of, of Golden Boy starting to make even more inroads into female boxing. We know that they have uh, exclusive contract with the interim WBA flyweight champion, Sinis Estrada. We know we, they have a, uh exclusive contract with 2012 Olympic bronze medalist, Malena Esparza, and with former super middleweight WBC WBO champion Franchon Cruz de Zern. At one point, they had uh, uh, Maricela uh, Cornejo, but that they released her 
um, more than a year ago, I believe. So now it seems like Sulem Urbina was close to signing a contract with her, with Golden Boy. We don't know if Anabel Ortiz would be a fighter that they would be interested as well since she fought on that card. It would seem kind of difficult, David, or it seemed kind of a, a, a weird choice for them to be interested in Anabel Ortiz since he, she campaigns at 105 pounds, and that's a very tough division in the female uh, boxing because not because there's tough fighters in it, well, there, there is, but just to, to get opponents in that weight class is pretty difficult. Well, I think what they're doing is they want to set it up for Sinisa Estrada, who can make 105 very easy. Mm. Yeah, and that's what something that Sinisa Estrada had mentioned, that um, that uh, that she was willing to go down at 105 if it meant fighting for that WBA title. And as of right now, at 105 pounds, the only one that um, – at 105, the WBA is Annabel Ortiz. The WBC is Tina Rupkrek out of Germany, and the IBF is Jocasta Valle, which is also might be a viable fight for Sinés Estrada, oh, yeah. and the WBO is vacant. So before, not too long ago, except for that WBA title that Navel Ortiz has held since July of 2013, the other sanctioning bodies were controlled by Asian fighters, mainly from Japan. Um, but Tina Rupkrek has only been the champion for the WBC since 2018, and Yocasta Valle scored uh, the win for the IBF title since August in August of 2019. So they're fairly recent champions in that division. So it starts opening up a little bit that um, uh, that uh, that division to other fighters that are not based out of out of Asia. So we'll see. That might be something that would be viable for um, for Sinesa Estrada. But the fight did happen at, at 115 pounds, which was 10 pounds over that 105-pound weight limit. So I would imagine that that was very short notice for Anabel Ortiz and that she would need to get back into shape to take on somebody like Sinesa Estrada. Mm-hmm. All right, so as we wait for our caller, Jessica McCaskill, to give us a ring here with her trainer slash manager, Rick Ramos. Let's, let's move on into a little bit of, a, of some fight chatter uh, here. And this last 10 days have been pretty uh, spectacular for upcoming fights as long as they stay uh, on and they don't get canceled or postponed because of the coronavirus. Um, but this, in the last 10 days, actually, before we go into that, I think our caller is already here. So let's patch him in and see who we have here on the line. Should be Miss Jessica McCaskill, the WBC and WBA Super Lightweight Champion, and her trainer slash manager, Rick Ramos. Good evening. How you hey doing? Hey, guys. Hey, Jessica. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for calling in. Uh, we give you, uh, we thank you. We welcome you here to the two-minute round. Your hooks and jabs look at the female boxing world. And with that said, I'm going to pass you over to Mr. David Avila. David, go right ahead. Jessica, welcome. Uh, glad to hear from you again. How's everything in Chicago? Uh, busy as usual, just keeping up with our training and um, just ready to fight. Jessica, do you still work in the stock exchange in Chicago? <laughs> I work for R.J. O'Brien, so they're an FCM, and they're in the investment banking business, yes. 
what's it like over there right now with with all this uh, chaos oh, going on? Yeah. There are a lot of changes happening right now. They're fairly subtle on my end. Um, just things like no one-on-one meetings anymore. Everything has to be over the phone or through like video messaging. We're all prepared to work from home if necessary. They've taken precautions um, to give everybody hand sanitizer and, and different things like that. So they're doing their best to eliminate any issues uh, so that we can stay productive. Wow, that's interesting. And what about in the gym? Is the gym taking any kind of uh, changes or is it business as usual? There's not so many changes because we've always made a big effort to be extremely clean and bleach everything. So we have a lot of cleaning supplies. We bleach everything, Lysol, um, wipe everything down on a daily basis. We have added a few different things where we are offering um, disposable gloves to anyone that wants to use them under the gloves that we have or under the mitts that we have. And with the kids, we just make sure that they're washing their hands before practice and after practice. Wow. Yeah, there are, there are precautions taken. And Yeah, we want to be smart uh, about it and we want to be safe as well. Yeah, it, it is a big thing. It's a big concern right now. Um. Now, talking about your fight, uh, it's a great fight. Cecilia Brakus, the undisputed welterweight champion, uh, you, the the unified uh, WBA, WBC champion at 140. Um, Is the fight going to be at 147 or 140? 145. Oh, so it's a catchweight. And if you fight, uh, are you fighting for her titles or your titles? Both. I get. I'm fighting for her titles, but I get to keep my titles if I'm if I'm correct. Oh, okay. That's that was my next question, uh, because you're fighting above weight. Um, correct. And so, so is Rick there too? Yes, he's here. Hey, how are you, Dave? Rick? Hello, everybody. very good, Rick. Good. Uh, we're sorry to keep you away. <laughs> we didn't forget no, about no, you. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> so, so Rick. Tell everybody how you met, how, how you met uh, Jessica, how it all began. Um, it was crazy. I was, uh, you know, I had uh, opened up my own gym, and I had, for, for whatever reason it was, I had more female fighters than guy fighters at the time, you know, and I didn't have a lot of fighters. I was just training with maybe six, seven girls, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to throw an all-female amateur show. This was six years ago, uh, and... I guess Jessica found me on Instagram. She emailed me and she said, Hey, you know, I just moved here from St. Louis. I want to fight, you know? And I said, okay, well, if you're going to fight on my show, um, you know, if you don't have a corner, I'll work with you. So she came in and I put her as the main event and she beat up a girl who uh, was just about to turn pro. And uh, she, she gave her four standing eight counts, I believe. And, you know, it was a great fight and Jessica kind of like, barged in on the Chicago boxing scene and it's been all business from that day on. And, and for for you, Jessica, what was it like uh, uh, when you first saw that email? Um, were, are you the kind of person who just takes chances and and, uh, and is it like a go-getter? I'm definitely a go-getter. I had to hustle and grind to find a gym. It took me nine months to find a gym when I moved here from St. Louis, I would find different gyms on my running route and I would go in and they would, they would say different things like, 
were in an agent and we don't really have boxing here, or they would say, you can box here, but we don't actually hit people. And I was like, okay, well, I need to kind of punch somebody in the face. That needs to happen. Um, There were a lot of people that didn't return my phone calls or my emails, and Rick was the only one that did. And he said, you know, just just come in. This is the time for the classes. And I, I ended up joining the gym. And all I needed was one yes. And I took a whole lot of no's before that, and I just needed that one yes. Are you surprised at, at, at how well you guys, you both have done as a team, uh, how far you've gone? No, I think we both have, like, that grinding mentality. And um, it's funny because I kind of just look at where I am now, and I think about, you know, did I ever actually see this back in the day? Was this? what I was looking forward to and, and that this is, I didn't really think this was on my radar. I just, I'm one to work just tooth and nail where I'm at until I get promoted. And then I'm going to work tooth and nail again until I get promoted. And then I just work my way to the top and I don't necessarily know exactly what the top is, but I'm working to be better every day. And so I think Rick definitely has that same mentality and then putting us together, you have a powerhouse. And you're getting this fight against the city of Breakers, and you're kind of like fearless. You really don't care who you fight as long as you get a big fight. What, what, have you always been like that? Have you always been a big challenge taker, or is this a brand new thing? If you talk to my mom, she would definitely say yes. She's, I used to climb on top of the house and just sit on the roof, and I wanted to ride all the rides that I wasn't tall enough to ride, and I grew up with three older boys in the house, and so that kind of makes you fearless, and it's fun being fearless. So, you know, Rick will bring in um, more experience, uh, train with, and for me to spar with, and, you know, we we go through it. Like I said, we're always hustling and grinding, so when it's fight time, that's kind of the easy portion. And, and Rick, regarding Cecilia Breakers, who approached who regarding this fight? Was it uh, Hearn that suggested, or you suggest to Hearn? Um, this happened maybe, um, I don't know, maybe about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, about a year and a half ago. Um, her publicist, who is who's from Chicago, reached out to me, and he was interested. Um, Cecilia was interested in bringing Jessica in for sparring, and you know they offered to bring us down for bring us over for like a month. And Jessica was like, "What do you think?" And blah blah blah. And I was like, "You know what?" I say we we pass, and Jessica was kind of like, you know, um, all right, you know, what are you thinking? And I was just like, we, I think we're going to fight her at some point. So once I start getting stuff in my head, I just, like, kind of aggravate everybody until it kind of happens. So that's where it started. <laughs> and then um, they met face-to-face at the uh, Holly Holm fight, and, you know, they were ringside together, so they met, um, Cecilia and Jessica met, so there was like kind of like a, a good vibe between them. And then after that, uh, once I started seeing her Cecilia fight and I knew she was up there in age and, you know, and she's obviously a hall of famer and, and I wanted to keep Jessica with the big names. I don't want to fall back. You know, I want to keep her with the Katie Taylors, the Serrano's, the Cecilia's, you know, um, you know, the big names, you know, I, I don't want anything small. So, you know, we, I kind of stuck her with that crowd. And there was an opportunity that came in and Betty had offered other names first. And I said, well, what's up with Cecilia? Like now you have her, 
you know, she's under the zone. Like, is that even a possibility? Because he had mentioned it for the mm-hmm. last HBO fight. They offered me Loeffler, Tom Loeffler. He actually reached out to me about mm-hmm. Cecilia um, for the last HBO fight. I forgot. She fought that uh, the girl from Boston. I forgot her name. But um, she ended up fighting her. And they offered oh, us that okay. fight. Yeah, so they offered me the fight. The 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 money was almost there. We were right there. And then, you know, Eddie Hearn reached out to me. He called me early in the morning, and he was like, hey, what do you want to do? And I was just honest. I said, I don't really want the Cecilia fight right now. I want a home for Jessica. Can you, you know, can we work together? Can you give me a five-fight deal for Jessica? I feel like she's she's an earner. I feel like she's exciting and explosive and we just need a chance, Eddie. And then Ed was like, all right, um, okay, I'll call you back. And then I let that offer from Loeffler expire. And then we reached out to Eddie. We signed a three-fight deal with Eddie. And then, you know, we got the WBC, the WBA, and things started happening. And uh, here we are, you know, on the back end of the second biggest name in boxing. And, um, you know, we we plan to upset her now. Victory against Cecilia puts Jessica, in my opinion, in the in the female boxing hall of fame for sure. So that's what we're gunning for. And, and Jessica, you you've been fighting really aggressive Argentines uh, back to back to back, and uh, and now you're fighting Cecilia has a different style, but uh, maybe not uh, now that she's with Abel Sanchez, who kind of teaches a Mexican style of boxing. What do you expect from Cecilia when you when you meet? I expect her to come forward. Um, I think with her fighting me, she's she's gonna want to make sure she puts a stamp on anything that she does, and it's just a matter of you know whatever game plan she has that she's able to keep it, and we're gonna keep our same game plan um, as far as training at the highest level and making sure I'm ready on all all aspects and. Um, we're gonna we're gonna keep to the same game plan and be aggressive as we normally are. Okay, uh, I'm gonna pass you on to Loopy, and then uh, Felipe will ask you to uh, Loopy. Go ahead. Hey Jessica. Hey Rick. Hello. What's up, Loopy? Hey. Hey, it was good seeing you guys at the Olympic trials in Louisiana. Really good seeing. Yeah, you. that was a good good uh, trip there. There. It was. It was. You guys elevate the event. Thank you. Thank you. But you yeah, know, it was, it was awesome to see you both with the with your amateurs. I mean, Rick, you have both you and Jessica, your world champion, coaching Kim Carlson at the Olympic trials. So Rick, to have amateurs that turn into professionals, your professionals who become coaches to your amateurs, is this just is it just an evolution of a fighter or is it a part of your bigger picture? Like, like I always had, like, if you come to my gym right now, you'll see, you know, you could see Summer Lynn. Summer Lynn was in the program. She would teach my little kids. Once she won nationals, I had her teach the youth class. Now Summer's pro, so she's at a different level. Now I have my other new amateur female fighter, Leilani uh, Diaz. She's teaching the amateur. So it's kind of like I bring them through my whole rotation so everybody knows my style, the way I train, how I train, what I expect, and and, you know, this is a business for me. Like I tell, I tell all my fighters, if, if you don't treat yourself as a professional, this is a business. And, you know, I will make you 
but I would give you a, a world title shot. Whether you become a world champion is up to you. I try to treat every single fighter like a business, and I'm the CEO of all those businesses, and I just want to be successful, and that's how I treat it. And everybody in my gym who fights for me, they're like, yo, Rick is dead serious. Like, he doesn't play, and I, and I just don't want to play around. You know, I want to do big things. I don't want to be on the B side, or I don't want to, you know, beg for mm-hmm. fights or call people out. You know, it's just, it gets exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think? I think what sets you both apart in the boxing world is that you're, you're white collar business people in a blue collar sport. So you're both in the investment business. I mean, my sister, my husband, I was in the business too, so I get it. And what I mm-hmm. get is how you take what you do in the business world and you apply it to the boxing world. You know, I, yeah. I read some of the criticism for how you run your business. Both of you, because Jessica's right in there, too. Um, so if, if the, the critics aren't in that corporate world and might not get what you're doing, and this question is for both of you, when you're managing your career and the career of other fighters and picking your fights, how are you using your business background? And this is for both well, of you. Know, it, um, do you want to answer first? Yeah, I'll answer first. I, and sometimes it's not even about, you know, using the business background. Like, we both come from – hard times and, and having nothing. So it's sometimes just making sure that you don't go back to that. And so elevating yourself every chance that you get and making sure that, like Rick said earlier, you, you're not putting yourself with, you know, brand new fighters or I'm not fighting any pro debuters. That doesn't make sense. I, I should be at the top level fighting, you know, top level fighters. So um, it's, sometimes it's not about applying, you know, a business model to, to what you're doing. It's just about continually um, elevating yourself. But as, as far as business level is concerned, boxing and, and banking, for me, sometimes is very similar because mm-hmm. you have to bring the, the aggression at a certain level. You have to command the room. You have to take charge. Sometimes it's just you and the CEO talking or COO talking one-on-one, just like you're in the ring with somebody else. So you, you have to fight to get your, your point across. You have to, for me, being a female in a, a corporate you know male world sometimes, that has an effect and you, you have to make sure that you can can handle that and conduct yourself mm-hmm. accordingly. And just in boxing, you, you can't you can't elbow somebody, you can't kick somebody, you have to conduct yourself accordingly. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that uh, they're they're both the same. Yeah. Rick, do you wanna to add to that? Um yeah, yeah. For me it's you know, I think you know, I try to put my fighters in a in a no lose situation. You know, and you know, if if you look at Jessica's career, I had other fighters that were extremely popular in Chicago. They were the biggest. Every fighter that I've had in Chicago was a, was the top ticket seller, was the best. That you know, I think I do a good job of promoting my squad and um, and elevating their careers, no matter if they're local or on a world stage. But to answer your question, um, I just put I try to put Jessica in a no in a no lose situation. You know, if you look at the Katie Taylor fight, nobody even knew Katie. Nobody knew her, which made her scary. And you know, I saw an opportunity and and everybody was sleeping on the opportunity. So I'm like, "Yes, we're going to go after this girl." You know, so I started, you know, making my plea to get that fight. I got that fight. You know, Jessica bought a house. There was no way we can lose in that situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you mm-hmm. know, it, and, and in a lot of ways, and I and I think I've said this to a, in a couple of interviews, you know, if we would have beat Katie Taylor that night, we would have messed up the female landscape. 
because there was mm-hmm. nobody putting money into female boxing until Eddie Hearn hit the stage. And I think if Jessica would have knocked out Katie, I don't know if Eddie, Eddie would have put money into Jessica at that time. So yeah. in a lot of ways, our our loss was a huge catapult for female boxing. I don't think people see it that way, but that's a very, yeah. very true statement. And and if you look at today, like in the situation we're in now, we're uh, the unified 140-pound champion. We're going up to fight uh, uh, um, the Hall of Famer, uh, unified mm-hmm. welterweight champion. We're, we're getting the biggest payday of her career. Um, so in a lot of ways, if we win this cut, is a bigger star and locks her position in the female boxing hall of fame. If she mm-hmm. loses, we go back to 140 to defend our belts, and that is exactly what I'm talking about. This is a no lose situation. You know, the Katie fight bought Jessica the house. The Cecilia fight will pay it off. And and don't yeah. let anyone tell you that there's no money in female boxing. And if they if anyone tells you that, they're they're with the wrong people because yeah, I see all the money. I see it all. Yeah, you know and. And I think a lot of people get distracted with the negatives of, of what's going on and, and kind of lose focus of the positives. Yeah, with the negatives and also what's a lot of money to some people is really not a lot of money to other people. And true. being in the investment business, you see a lot of money. In, the, in your field, you see a lot of money. Right. And and I think if you raise the bar and you can't take $2,000 fights for world titles, you know, I could sit here and rattle off offers from marquee fighters who called me for Alejandra Ayala, you know, they, a ridiculous mm-hmm. offer from, from a fighter who's a, who, who's a quote unquote, one of the best out there. And all, and I, and I try to correct them like, you know, Hey, this is an insult. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, and I try to correct these promoters. Like this is a complete insult. Don't call me unless you have, 35,000 for Alejandro Ayala or don't call me for to fight mm-hmm. a marquee name or so I mean you have to say no and it's just like anything else you know they're going to keep stealing your cornbread if you keep let, letting them steal your cornbread you know eventually yeah. you got to fight for your for your piece of the pie and if you don't yeah. then they're going to take it from you you know yeah, yeah you got to be tough I, I'm a big fan of how you run your business I really am I appreciate hey, that. I, I, hey, I Jessica, that. I have one more. Um, you know, uh-huh. there's so many role models today in female boxing, but when we're talking to our girls and mentoring our girls, your name's always at the top of the list. Um, you know, what you overcome as a child, the inner strength as a teenager, you know, you continued your education, choosing a career in a male-dominated industry, and then you're a world champion in another male-dominated industry. You know, in your documentary, The Making of McCaskill, you got really emotional when you spoke of Miss McHugh. So year and year oh later, you re- I know that was very sweet. That that was it. So and years later, you meet Rick Ramos, and like you guys said, everything happened so fast. So did you, at a young age, did you learn who is really out to help you and who to trust, and also the loyalty for those that did help you? I, I mean, is that where it started I, with Miss McHugh? Yeah, there was there was definitely people who were in my life that I didn't I didn't categorize it as oh those are good people and they're out to help me. I didn't categorize it like that in my mind. It was mm-hmm. just that I knew certain people weren't going to leave me hanging or if I really needed something, I knew I could go to certain people or um even just the the overall essence of like you know if, if you if you need something just trust in God and he's going to send somebody you know and and that usually happens without me having to ask like good people 
came to me, which was incredible. And those people I remember to this day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good, I was going to say it's a really good story, but it's not a story, it's your life. And and that was a great short documentary. I mean, if people have 20 minutes, watch um, Making McCaskill. Watch it. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of visuals there. You know, we we talk about me being homeless as a child. We talk about the schools that I went to, and we go visit those places. And it was really um, kind of like just kind of shocking to my brain and to my emotions to go back to those places because they had such a big uh, part of my life. And I think they, for a, a time, they were a big part of my life in a negative way. And then when we went back, I was just like, man, this place is so small. Like, it just it just seems so small compared to mm-hmm. what my life is now and the places that I'm going. So it was it was honestly a blessing just to go back and, and realize, like, I'm over this and I'm past this and I can definitely move on. All of that's what got you where you are today, right? Yeah, yeah. No regrets. Hey, well, thank you. It was so good talking to you guys. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, of course. Of course. Felipe? Yes. Uh, what, before I go into my questions, what, uh, what platform can that documentary be watched on? It's on Amazon Prime, and I believe it's also on YouTube, Making McCastle. Okay. Yeah, I've seen, I seen some of the ads for it, or I saw somewhere, I think on Facebook or something, but I didn't catch what platform it was. Um, all right. Well, guys, um, I think we went to the section of the interview. We're going to have to mix it up a little bit because it would be, I'll be doing a disservice to our audience if I didn't ask you about the beef between Jessica and Mary McGee. Mary McGee was here on the show in December and she told us a story of how she wasn't really too happy with some comments that Jessica made on her Facebook post regarding trying to make a fight in her hometown. So I want to give Jessica the opportunity here to explain her side of the story uh, of what happened uh, back in uh, the late last year with McGee and the back and forth that happened that time. Mary McGee and I, we we kind of go back a little bit further. Um, I remember she was getting ready for a fight in New York, and I don't think I was pro yet, and so she came for sparring, and, you know, we would would work with her and try to help her out, and we always supported her team, and we went to a fight uh, to support her in Indiana. I can't remember what fight it was, and um, we ended up leaving, but right after we left, her fight finished, and she, like, started talking, like, trash about us and, like, called us out for a fight, and and this was before she had her belt, and I just some of her her actions were inappropriate. And um, after that summer, our summer Lynn, um, her she had her second pro fight, and she had a fight there in Indiana as well. So me being um, one of her coaches, Rick and I cornered her, and you know there was just kind of like a scene made. And you know, of course, I'm not I'm not here. For, I wasn't there for my fight. I was there as a hired team member for Summer Lynn, so, of course, I'm going to conduct, conduct myself accordingly. Um, so, you know, I took pictures with the fans, and I cornered, helped Rick corner her, and after that we left. But it was just, you know, it's, it's kind of gotten to this point of just inappropriate behavior, and that's exactly what we're trying to avoid when we talk about the level of professionalism that should be in boxing, male or female, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and like you guys said, I'm trying to be a role model for these kids, and it's like, 
I'm not going to engage in things like that. Okay. Rick, on the same, on the same subject, um, obviously, I mean, I really liked the, the, what you stated a couple minutes ago where you want to keep Jessica with the big names, with the Cecilia Breakhouse, with the Katie Taylors, with, you know, the big names in female boxing. Um, and obviously, I mean, we can all agree here that at this point, Mary McGee is not there. She's not one of those big names, but she is the IBF super lightweight champion. So after the Cecilia Breakhouse win, win or lose that fight, is that something that you would be open to having a unification fight with Mary McGee? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I would like um, to deliver, you know, uh, Mary McGee's the biggest person of her career because then I would feel like, hey, you know what? I can help two girls from the same area make the biggest person of their career, you know, and um, I, I'm definitely open to that, you know, and if Jessica um, gets through Cecilia, you know, if we knock out Cecilia, we beat Cecilia, chances are we won't see Mary McGee. Probably go after the Katie rematch. We'll probably have to do the, the rematch, and then we'll probably have to go for a Katie rematch. So, I mean, she has to get her marketability up. But, um, you know, if if the time and the situation and the money is right, then we fight anybody. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's more than just fighting somebody, right? Like, <clears throat> if you – if you go back and if you look at some of the names at 140, I mean, there's there's not a big name other than Jessica who's big at 140. So it's like, you know, they got to keep their marketing up. They got to, you know, um, keep winning, and, and we'll see what happens, you know. Uh, if we beat Cecilia, you know, um, maybe Clarissa comes down to 147. So, we, you know, we want to see what's going on. You know, I'm not really thinking about Mary McGee. I'm thinking about – um, knocking out Clarissa, uh, knocking out Cecilia, maybe get a shot at Clarissa at 147 if she can make it, or or come that back down for a Katie Taylor rematch. Those are the names I'm looking for. I'm not looking for anyone behind us. I'm looking for people who are in front of us. You know what I mean? I agree with you that Mary McGee. You know she's not the most marketable at 140 pounds. I do agree with you. Jessica McCaskill is the biggest name, but. But doesn't I, McGee holding that IBF title and being in the way of perhaps unification and unifying the division for McCaskill be enough for her to be a viable opponent? I mean, I guess the, I could. I, I guess I'll, I'll throw a question back at you. We beat Cecilia, right? Whether it's once or twice, Katie Taylor's coming for the Walter White belt, and and you know and you know that, right? Because. She can unify 140 because she could. She already beat Christina. She could beat Mary McGee easy. So it would be because Katie Taylor would come for us at 147. At 147, which the bout would probably really be at 143. So that fight would happen before Mary or Christina. So again, like those are those are the names I'm looking for. And you know, if situ- if Katie fights. Uh, Cecilia and we're still champion at 140. Then yeah, well, of course we we would take Mary and and then take all you know after Mary. Then we could talk about Christina and and I, it's like Mary McGee and Jessica McGaskill is kind of like the the Mayweather Pacquiao fight for me. It can, it can happen whenever because they're local and that fight could happen local and it would be huge local. So for me, it's like it's like money in my back pocket that I'll get to when I get to. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that fight can happen whenever, wherever, for no belt. So I'm looking for big money. I'm looking for 
you know, Jessica to have a future. And, and I don't think Mary McGee is big money. Um, maybe down the road, maybe. But um, until then, we'll, we'll have to I have to keep uh, the bigger opportunities uh, alive and well. Now, there is a rematch clause in the fight with Breakhouse? Yes. But only if Breakhouse loses, right? Yes, because she has all the belts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, any other questions, David or uh, Lupi? Lupi? No. Just stay healthy. Just stay healthy. That's right. Well, we want to thank you, Jessica McCaskill, the WBC and WBA Super Lightweight Champion, and Mr. Rick Ramos, your trainer and manager, for being here on the show with us, and wish you all the luck on April 17th. Thank you so thank much. You it's all. always great being on your show. Thanks for considering us. Thank you. Thank Bye, you guys. for being with us and taking the thank time. You. Have a good night. You too, guys. Thank you so Take much. Care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. I'll talk Take to you guys. Care. And there you have it. Um, very, very uh, educational uh, um, um, interview. I, you know, they conduct themselves very, very well. You know, they don't fall into um, different things that we've seen in the past with, with other fighters. I mean, obviously, you could not sense it, but you can, you, I can kind of see the beef there uh, of why there is that beef with um, Mary McGee and... Rick Ramos is very, very intelligent in the direction that he's taking Jessica McCaskill. Now, he he he, he was going to pose a question to me, but he never did. And obviously the answer, was, the question I believe he was going for is that what fight would I take if Katie Taylor wanted to fight at 143? And obviously it would be the fight at 143 against Katie Taylor. That's the big money fight. And I don't know the conversations that he and Eddie Hearn have, but if Teddy Taylor decides not to go up to 140 or 147 and try to go for those titles, then the most obvious fight for 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 me, in my opinion, for Jessica McCaskill after Cecilia Breakhouse is Mary McGee. Do you agree, David? Um, no, I, I, I'm more about the money. And you're going to get more money fighting mm-hmm. somebody else like, uh, you know, like they mentioned the Taylor, the Clarissa Shields. Yeah, but if Taylor, but if Taylor, let's say Taylor doesn't want to go up to doesn't, let's say Taylor fights Amanda, Serrano, let's say Taylor even loses to Amanda Serrano. Now she has, now she's 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 gonna have a, a a rematch clause with Amanda Serrano. That then that rematch, so she's out of the picture for the time being. And let's oh, say and and let's say McCaskill loses to Cecilia Brackhouse, so she's still the 140 pound champion, the WBA and WBC. So the fight that makes the most sense after Brackhouse is. Uh, Mary McGee, I would have to say. I mean, I don't know what other name will be out there, or Christina Linadartu, which I rather see first because I just think it's a be- it's a more of a of a of a exciting fight as far as matches uh, styles are are concerned. Yeah, yeah, style wise, yeah, I agree. That's a great fight. Uh, Money wise, I, I think the, there's so, there's a couple other fights that she could fight, but. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, style-wise, yes, I agree. That's a great fight. Just because of the, yes. the blood Yeah, feud. that would be a really good fight, the Christina yeah. fight. But, I mean, I'm like, David, I guess the money, because you are getting punched, you are putting your, your, your health at risk, and they look at things differently, slightly differently. And I could see why I hear the criticism of their team and how they run things, but it makes sense, and it makes sense for them. I mean, they're not no, it, doing it. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish up. Well, they're not really doing it for. It's not like they need do. They are doing it for the money, but it's not like for for money. So they can kind of call their shot. But but I can see why people criticize the way they do things. But I think it's smart how how they run their business. No, I, I do. I mean, I I, I actually do because look what uh, Rick said. I mean, Katie Taylor, the Katie Taylor fight, the purse that Jessica McCasco made from the Katie Taylor fight helped her buy a house, and now mm-hmm. the fight against um, uh, Cecilia Breakhouse is gonna pay off the fight. I mean, I mean, she's on honestly, David and David, you you two and all of us have been in boxing. For so long, there's really no stories like that in boxing, unless you're a, a Katie Taylor, unless you're a, um, a Clarissa Shields, right? And I can't think of oh, any yeah. other fighter out there that in two fights was able to buy a, a, a house in the United States. I mean, even going toward, toward looking towards Mexico and, and like Mariana Juarez and Jackie Nava, it, it took mm-hmm. more than two fights for them to buy their own their houses in Mexico, oh, which yeah. is a lot which is a lot less than than the United States, and and in Chicago, which is not a cheap city. So for Jessica McCaskill to be able to do that with two fights, that's pretty impressive, and it's a testament on, on the way that they are running their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That you know, that I never would have thought that. I never would have thought that. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a great sign. That's a great sign for women's boxing. Now uh, we move on to a little bit more of the fight chatter, and like I meant, like I started to say uh, uh, before we got the the call from McCasco and Mr. Rick Ramos, is the last ten days have been very promising for the rest of the year in female boxing in two, in 2020. In the last ten days, we have three major fights announced, three uh, mega fights announced. Um, the first one is the one that we just spoke about with uh, Cecilia Breakos defending her 147-pound titles on April 17th against Jessica McCaskill, the current WBC and WBA Super Lightweight Champion. The second, slated for May 9th, is the unification fight between the WBC and WBO, I believe. Is it WBO? Let me check real quick. It's uh no yes the WBC and WBO super welterweight champion Clarissa Shields facing fellow undefeated Canadian Mary Eve DeCarry the IBF champion on May 9th on Showtime and then we have also on May 9th the Mexican war between Miss Mariana Juarez the 118 pound WBC champion and Jackie Nava so we already spoke about Breakos and and Jessica McCaskill. Now let's talk a little bit about May 2nd in Katie Taylor against Amanda Serrano at the Men Arena, Manchester Arena in England. There's been a lot of talk since the announcement that it's a co-main event, not the semi-main event, or not in support of the main event, which is a heavyweight fight between Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin, but Eddie Hearn is calling it a co-main event. But a lot of people are talking and criticizing the fact that it should have been the main event in itself. That this should be the headlining fight of that card in Manchester on May 2nd. Um, what are your thoughts, Lupe, uh, on that regard? I mean, could it be the main event? Definitely. Should it? 
Yeah, it should, but it's Eddie's card, and he can call it like he wants. I mean, he is pretty supportive of of um, of female boxing. I mean, he plans to do that all-female card. So, I mean, it could definitely be one, but it's, you know, I mean, if they're okay, I, it, it to me, it doesn't really matter. I don't exactly know what the boxers, do you guys know what the boxers said about it? Has, have they been vocal? The actual boxers. I haven't seen I haven't seen any statements from either one of them. Have you, David? Uh, no, not at Regarding. all. Not at all. No. Now, one post that I saw that kind of put it put it in a different perspective stated that you know many believe ha- many believe that Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Boxing has done a lot for women's boxing and just and actually Rick Ramos attested to it um, in the interview. And to criticize the fact that this fight is not a main event is kind of going overboard on the criticism. Do you agree or disagree with that point of view, Lupi? Going overboard with the criticism? Well, I mean, no, not really, because they're just trying to say, hey, this is like a huge fight, which is a huge fight, and it could be the main event. It should, you know, I mean, it should be, but it's Eddie's card. Um I think the only way some people feel like it's overboard is people are just sick of the whole Me Too movement. I think they're tired of it, and they're like, you know, I think that's that's what it is. People are just tired of the whole Me Too. David, what do you think? Uh, I think Lupi's kind of right what she said about the Me Too movement. Maybe they're tired of it. I think the uh, the other part is that this is a British card, Dillian White, is, uh, who was the main event against Povetkin, they're very well known in in the U.K. and in Europe. Well, the people that are complaining are the people in the U.S. who don't know who Dillian White is or Povetkin, mm-hmm. and they don't care. And they're the ones mm-hmm. that are complaining. And see, if you put this card in the U.S., well, that's a different story. Then you have to put Katie and Amanda as the main event because – not that many people know who Dillian White is. I, I mean, the average Joe uh, boxing fan doesn't know Dillian White. I don't care if he is ranked number one or has never been knocked out or is a killer or they they don't know who Povetkin is who fought all the Klitschko's and been fighting for 20 years. They don't know and they don't care. But they do know Katie Taylor. They do know Amanda Serrano in the U.S. More than those I- those guys. I agree with you, David. I think, I think if anything, is more of an economics of it because, like you say, Dylan White's very popular in in England. Alexander Povetkin is a name in the welter in the heavyweight division. He's fought all the big names, so that fight is very intriguing uh, in the heavyweight division and especially in England, where Dylan White is from. He's actually the interim, I believe, WBC heavyweight champion, um, and. I could only imagine that Kenny Taylor and Amanda Serrano are getting the biggest purses of their careers for this fight. So for it to make financial sense, I think that they had to pair it with a big enough fight that was going to sell out the uh, the men arena and also command uh, a pretty hefty licensing fee from the zone in Sky Sports, which is the ones that trans- that – um, that broadcast the fights in England, whereas if it was in New York or in Boston where Katie Taylor has fought, and I believe in Boston she was the main event, wasn't she against Christina Linadartu? No, against Rose Volante. I think, no, was she the main event? Maybe she wasn't. Anyways, I don't think that it would have command 
the money that the box office as well as the as the licensing fees from the zone or sky if if it was not in the uk so i think there was a good move by eddie hearn and i think that criticizes the fact that it's not although i would have loved for it to be a main event because it would have given it the um the level that it that it deserves of, of for this fight, you know, because this is a fight that we've been waiting for for a long, long time, even more so than the Clarissa Shields-Christina Hammer fight, because this one on paper is a lot more competitive than that was on paper mm-hmm. and what turned out to be in the ring. But the fact that it's happening, that's good enough for, for me, and it should be good enough for the majority of, of female boxing fans. Now, on May 9th, the same night, well, the same night as Clarissa Shields and the Carey sure. We'll see Mariana Juarez finally also facing off against Jackie Nava. This fight was originally slated for October of 2018, and that was after both women fought on the same card of in August of that 2018. But because of money issues, promotional issues, both of them are with different promoters. The both of them are with different Mexican networks. It was not able to to be made back in October of 2018. And now, uh, nearly two, well, about a year and a half later, it's finally signed, sealed, and it's going to be delivered on May 9th. David, how past the expiration date of this fight do you think we're getting it? Oh, well, the good thing is that Mariana still has a title. So that keeps it relevant. The bad thing is that Jackie Nava had, what, a draw against... uh, Marcela Acuna from Argentina. So that kind mm-hmm. of devalued her. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a little past, but those regional uh, uh, feuds between the, the, the cities, that's still pretty hot. So they should be pretty good sell. Lupe, what do you think? Do you think it's five years past its it's best time, 10 years. I mean, they are 39 and 40 years old. Mariana Juarez is 40 years old. She just turned 40 in January, and um, Jackie Nava is 39 years old. So you think that it should have happened five years ago, 10 years ago? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, five years ago, 10 years ago. What, 10 years ago was 2010? And what, well, we saw uh, Jackie Nava in 2011. Was it 2011 when she fought Anna Marie Torres? I mean, I they, were so. the two best Mex- they were the two best Mexican fighters in the world, right? I mean, that was that was the time. I mean, I mean, they're older now, and it's probably time to get this done. Um, you know, it it is, but it's still going to be a big fight because it's like the two best today. You know, I mean, Barbie's got a great fan base. She markets herself well. You know, she's still fighting a ton. She has way more fights than Jackie. Mhm. You know, I mean, does does Barbie have the same skills that Jackie did in her day? Well, probably not. But I, it's still a big fight. And and, and 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 with that said, what you just said, and what David said regarding Jackie Nava kind of diminishing her standing, I think it makes it more competitive because if this fight would have happened five, ten years ago. Even if it was around the same weight class, which couldn't have happened, because not only until 2016, when Barbie Juarez finally went up to 118 pounds, was this fight feasible because of the weights. Because for the majority of Barbie Juarez's career, she has been campaigning at 112, 115, um, 
and Jackie Nava has been campaigning at 122. And when Barry Juarez moved up to 118 in 2016, that's when it was more feasible regarding the weight. They got a lot closer to the weight. Now, at that time, Jackie Nava was campaigning and being a senator uh, in the Mexican uh, in political scene in the Mexican government. Um, so she hasn't fought, like Lupe says, as often as Barry Juarez in the last four or five years. But now that her skills have maybe, and her reflexes, not her skills, but her reflexes, she's older, have diminished a bit. And Barbie, if you would have told me five years ago, 10 years ago, who's the better fighter, like pound for pound, just from skill-wise, I honestly would have said Jackie Nava. But now that Barbie has gotten a lot better, she's looked a lot better at 118, and Jackie has not, I think it makes it even a more competitive fight. And the fact that David, like David stated, that she's still the world champion at 118, and that's the the title that Jackie Nava wants. She wants to go back to being a WBC world champion, which she hasn't been in a while, makes it even more intriguing. So I think we're going to see a great fight uh, on May 9th. And in my opinion, it's a 50-50 toss-up at this point. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I wonder if they're, they're going to be tested for Vada. I know well, that uh, Mariana was enrolled. She's enrolled. Well, I mean, yeah, and if I mean, I'm, I mean, Jackie should as well because because you know because it, they, there's that clean uh, boxing program for the top ten or fifteen ranked fighters in the WBC, whether it be male or female. So they should be tested. Now we get to see the results. Who knows? I mean, you've gone. You, we talked about it plenty of times here, David, and you know <laughs> you've been looking for that result. Yeah. For Pursuit and Taylor, so so and to this day we still haven't gotten a straight answer to the Alejandra Jimenez debacle of we still uh, have with Fresh John Cruz. We still haven't gotten it. Yep. So now, lastly, two months later, <laughs> yeah, lastly on the fight chatter section here, it was announced last week, not so much a Me Too type of thing because Me Too, I don't think it's it, it goes on this. Me Too is very specific to you know, the issues that have to do with the Me Too movement, but more so of equality between men and women in boxing. Um, Everlast began a petition to remove the word female from world titles in boxing, and they recruited uh, as the de facto, if not the official spokesperson for the petition and the movement, none other than Brooklyn's own Heather Hardy. Um, the WBC quickly jumped on the on the wagon and said, we're going to remove it from starting from last week. We're removing the word female. It's just going to be world champion from now on. And that deserves an applause. But I just wanted to read to you uh, the post from Heather Hardy regarding uh, her uh, involvement with this movement. And, and I quote, and this is straight from her social media. As some of you know, Everlast, has started a petition to have the world female removed from boxing's world titles. I really had to think about the significance of a petition like this and ask myself if I wanted to get behind it. We live in an extremist world where I knew something like this would trigger so many responses that would upset me, such as, what's the big deal? Who cares if it says female? You are a female. What do you want to do? Fight all the men next? Nobody even wants to see women fight. Be lucky you get world titles world title fights. Are you kidding me? That's so stupid. Pick your battle. Who cares what the belt says? Well, here's my response. It's one small step. 
with the overwhelming large pay gap in an industry where male world champions are earning in the millions and female world champions are getting offers at, of 10000 to fight for a belt, something needs to change. One small step. Yes, in the grand scheme of things, who really does care what the belt says? But perhaps a world champion is a world champion. Perhaps if you are not a world champion who is a female and who is grossly underpaid, you don't get to weigh in on what why the idea is stupid. Perhaps we can start there. MMA champions are champions. The belts don't say female. Perhaps we can take one small step towards equality. Lupe, you being the, the sole female representative here on the show, what are your thoughts on, on that topic? My thoughts are that's an easy one to give the female boxers. It's easy. Take it off. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's that, it's that gesture, you know. That one's an easy one. It's like... And, and what you wrote was well said. Well, I like what you wrote. I didn't write it. Heather, ha- Heather Hardy wrote that. Yeah, I like that. I like uh, yeah. it's just, you know, and it's easy. And they did it, you know, because we're champions, just champions. And that makes David, women feel a lot better. David, do you think it makes so a big small. difference? Do you think as far as if saying female champion, I mean, you're still going to know that it's a female because she's going to be standing there with a belt that just so happens not to say female. Do you think it's that big of a difference? Uh, Yes, I do. I I think it was kind of condescending uh, to to put it there. Uh, Just put champion. A champion is a champion. It's like Mm -hmm. they're to devalue it by saying female champion, but not a real champion, you know? Mm. I I mean, you can take it off. It doesn't doesn't make sense. But that's I never way, liked it but, in the first place. But I don't know if I agree with that statement, David, because because nobody's saying uh, nobody's saying that it's devalued by because it says female. It just states what it is. It's a female champion. Nobody said that it was less than the world title. I mean, that's the way that I guess some people have seen it, and I guess it's the way that Heather has seen it to a certain extent because obviously female fighters don't get paid the amount that male fighters get for female world title fights or world title fights, so it makes it less than. But at the end of the day, you know, there are world champions. They just happen to be female. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to put the the gender in front of it. Just, you know, say world champion. That's Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to have that. And it's not necessary. And And the other thing, too, is that they got to go after next. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but it's go for three-minute rounds. That's next. Yeah, but one thing the the WBC we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I I, I think that the, the the WBC has you know planted their flag and taken up and taken a pretty firm stand on that. I mean, they're willing to take the word female off, and they're the first ones to jump jump on that wagon and say, as of last week, we, we totally agree with Everlast. We're gonna do it. We're gonna take off the word female, and they even gave a mock up on their social media of what the title will look like. They already took a, the design of like the little flower and um and all that. They haven't used that for a while. But for them to actually make the jump to a three minute round, um, I see that as a big leap. Yeah, I would love to see it. I mean, everybody else their, is doing it. Yeah, and even. And even their own world champions, Clarissa Shields, stated on her Twitter that that's what she feels should be the next step. So, I mean, if Clarissa Shields is saying it, and she's a WBC champion, um, we'll see what the WBC and Marisa Suleiman, um, you know, say. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, though. Can it, can, it, can it happen? It can. 
But is it going to happen anytime soon? I don't think so. We'll see. I mean, that's something. I, um, I, I I think that's one of those things where you where um, what's the word? Uh, 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 when you see the other organizations go that way, they're going to do it. I think it's not. Mm-hmm. I think it's more. It's, I think it's more of the of the state commissions, because at the end of the day, no, state commission is not against it. They've never been against no. it. No. No, they actually allowed it as in in California. They allowed it. They allowed it in Vegas, which we've seen recently, and more recently in the Marlene Esparza, well, actually, Tenisa Estrada Marlene Esparza fight in November on the undercard of Canelo Kovalev. So, so let's say if there's a if there's a fight happening anywhere in the United States or even in the world that is happening, and it's not sanctioned by the WBC, the promoter has the right to 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 uh, petition the commission to let it be a three minute round, and if the commission allows it, then they allow it, right? Um, oh, the only ones that would, yeah, the only ones that would that would stop it if it's if a, if it's for a WBC title. Now let's say that you know it was a fight in Vegas, which we've seen allow, but it's gonna be a WBC sanctioned fight. Then the WBC will say, if you guys want to fight for this world title. You have to do it in two minute rounds, and the, and then at that point, the commission can't force anything. They're like, okay, well, you guys are going up, you guys are following the WBC rules, so you guys have to fight a two minute rounds. But if it's not WBC sanctioned, and the commission allows it, and the promoter petitions, and the and the commission has no problem against it, then there's no problem for it to be a three minute round. Interesting. It's an interesting point. Even if the commission wants to make it a 12-round fight, there's nothing stopping it from being a 12-round fight if the commission allows it. The only ones that are stopping it from being a 12-round fight is um, the sanctioning bodies. Yeah, actually, Layla McCarter fought a three-minute 12-round fight in Nevada. Yeah, so it's happening. In the WBA. Yeah, so it's just a matter matter of of the actual promoters being willing to do it. But we've heard it here. Even Lou DiBella said that they liked the two-minute round. Brian Cohen said, I don't know, though. No, I'm sorry. I don't know if Lou DiBella said it, but I know Brian Cohen did say that he'd rather have a two-minute round because he feels that it, it, it forces more action in the fight because there's not enough time in the round. I'm not, I don't think oh, Lou no, DiBella Lou, said it. Oh, Lou DiBella likes a two-minute round. Yeah, so he's he, had the base he, over think, it. Yeah, he likes it. I think because more of the of the net tra- broadcasting, it's a it's a shorter fight to broadcast on 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 TV, so it makes it easier for him to sell it to the TV networks. Mm. Um, well, well, actually, actually, he cites the same uh, uh, references as the WBC. Uh, some particular UCLA doctor uh, mm-hmm. has some kind of a research project or whatever, but they, they all cite that both of them. Here's the question, David. Not with UCLA, I don't care. What's that? <laughs> I said, and I want UCLA, and I don't care what that doctor said. <laughs> uh, you're probably, you're probably yeah, you're an alumni. Um, here's my question. Here's my question. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, of her stating, but I think that for a long time, one of the most respected doctors in boxing that was involved with boxing and is still involved with boxing is Miss Margaret Goodman. Who now oh, heads? Who now heads um, VADA, right? The Voluntary Anti-Doping Agency, yeah. which we all know. What is her opinion about the two or three-minute round? I wonder if we should try to get her on the show 
and have her give her mm. opinion regarding that. Well, what, one thing that I know about all doctors, they say boxing is not good for you. <laughs> they're all going to say that. So yeah. if you leave it to them, they're going to want to ban boxing. So that's yeah, what I Margaret always tell Goodman. people like that. But Margaret Goodman, yes. Margaret Goodman is not going to be, she's not going to go to that extreme because she's been involved in boxing for a long, long time. <laughs> so I don't think I, she's going to go to that extreme. I have friends, a lot of doctor friends, and they all say, oh, boxing is very dangerous. Uh, nobody <laughs> should box. But they love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, we'll see. Well, maybe we could put that together and have Ms. Margaret Goodman be on the show, and, and maybe she could explain uh, her thoughts on, on that issue. Because I think, if anything, we're, we're, we're moving I mean, we're moving in that direction because if they take off the female and, and they go to a three-minute round, then – I would I would imagine that we would start to see the pay across the board because, like Rick Ramos said in the interview, there is money in female boxing, but it's only going to the top names. You know, it's going mm-hmm. to the Clarissa Shields and the opponents. It's going to the Cecilia Breakhouse and the opponents. It's going to the Katie Taylor and the opponents. You know, but if we start seeing the pay creep up across the board, mm-hmm. you know, I think a catalyst for that mm-hmm. might be stepping up to the three-minute round. It could start that trend heading that way, you know? Exactly. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on you to know, the last section. Go ahead, Lupe, before we move okay. on. No, I was going to say uh, female on the belt, and she, she gave a face kind of, and she was like, oh, I don't care what it says. She goes, what? And she was kind of like, you know, if that's what people want. But she was like, I don't care what the belt says. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't decided. I mean, I see it both ways, quite honestly. I see it both ways. I mean, I see I see that it should be equal and it shouldn't matter to say uh, that it should say female boxing. But then I also see the argument that it doesn't matter what it says. You're still a world champ, just like Clarissa Schill says. And if it says female or not, I don't see that it's any less than the male side just because it says female. But, you know, I... I it is what it is, and, and, and it's a step in the right direction if it leads to a three-minute round, perhaps, or if it mm-hmm. leads to better pay uh, in the long mm-hmm. run. And I think that was the gist of Heather Hardy's uh, post and yeah. the fact that she is uh, supporting that movement of removing the word female from the from the world, cha- world titles. Um, now, let's see what's coming up. Well, we had somewhat of a, of a pretty good schedule coming up in the next couple of weeks with our next show being on March 26th, but with the coronavirus and what we talked about at the beginning of the show where all the shows in California have been um, postponed. So that take that took away Sinisa Stratus fight on March 28th. And then with uh, the Michaela Mayer, uh, uh, Melissa Hernandez fight being postponed as well this upcoming Tuesday, that takes it away as well. So as of right now, tentatively, <laughs> these are these are the fights that are still happening. On Saturday, March 14th, which is this Saturday in Cancun, Mexico, on Televisa, Yesenia Ladina Gomez defends her full-fledged WBC 100-pound title against Victoria Argueta in a scheduled 10-rounder. On Friday, March 20th, in Detroit, Michigan, Alicia Baumgartner fights former interim 118-pound champion Jessica Gonzalez in a, ske- a scheduled eight-rounder at 130 pounds. And on Saturday, March 21st, 
in Chihuahua, Mexico, on the Azteca Channel in Mexico, the newly crowned Jamiles Mercado WPC 122-pound champion defends her title for the first time against Catherine Speedy in a scheduled 10 rounds. And that, to me, is a very dangerous fight for Mercado because, like I stated, when she won the title against Fatima Surika, I didn't really see much much from her. We heard the the we heard what Surika said after the fight that she basically threw the fight because she wasn't getting the support that she expected from her government oh, in Africa, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Fiti, she's no walk in the park. I mean, she beat Jasmine Rivas, who was a longtime world champion at 118 for that title. She lost it to Mariana Juarez a um, couple years ago at the Zocalo in Mexico City in front of 400,000 fans. And now she's going after the young Mercado. So I don't think it's a given that Mercado comes out of that fight still as the world champion. So I think it's a very good fight on March 21st in Chihuahua, Mexico. Any closing thoughts from either one? Detroit didn't cancel their fight? They haven't. Up to, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen them cancel that fight just yet. Yeah. Okay. David? Um. Well, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm. A, I was a little surprised that that Mariana Juarez didn't get the first crack at Yamilet uh, Mercado. Yeah, and that's what I was expecting. But she went with the bigger money fighting Jackie Nava. And I think it's. I think thinking about this day while I was driving over here, um, she's between a rock and a hard place because because if Catherine Fini beats Mercado, that fight goes back to Africa. That title goes back to yeah. Africa. Now, can we bring Catherine Fidi over here to Mexico with enough money? Of course you can, but it's going to cost more money. She, they already did it back in uh, in a couple of, whenever it was that I think it was 2017 when um, yeah. when Barbie Juarez uh, de- uh, defeated her. So it's going to happen. It can happen. You know, the money is there. You could pr- you could make them. You could get the money to bring her over. Obviously, she's going to ask for more money because she's already been here and she already fought here, but it can happen. Um, but, but being that the Mercado is already here, it would be a big money fight. It, it's already easier to make because both of them are Mexican. And But, you know, but on the other hand, she had that big fight with Jackie Nava, and Jackie Nava has stated, win or lose, I don't care what happens, 2020 is my last year as a female professional boxer. So there is no way that Bobby Juarez was going to let go of that fight. So I see both sides, but she had to go with the bigger money fight and, and the more historical fight. Even though winning mm-hmm. a title at 122 is also historic, but I think that, that uh, Nava fight would always be hanging over her if it wouldn't have happened and Nava retires without fighting Bobby uh, Juarez. Yeah, I thought there was plenty of time to do both. Yeah, but we never know what would have happened with Jackie Nava. What if Jackie Nava? What if what if uh, Juarez goes with Marcado? Jackie Nava goes with another fight and she loses. She retires. True, true, very you know? true. Mm-hmm. And and, the, and and Nava is not one to take an easy fight. And the way that she looked against Marcela Acuna, we're not guaranteed that she's a winner. Um, so mm-hmm. so. I think that's the decision behind that. Well, with that said, yeah. we thank everybody for being here on the latest episode of the Two Minute Round, number 82. We'll be back with number 89 on March 26th, and we'll be talking about 
the fights that we just mentioned in the upcoming calendar, as far and as well as all the other news that might that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks in female boxing. So with that, we bid you good night. Good night. Good night.